When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Go ahead and talk about him because he makes you doubt, because he has denied himself the things you can't live without. Laugh at him behind his back, just like the others do. Remind him of what he used to be when he comes a-walking through. He's the property of Jesus. Resent him to the bone. You got something better. You've got a heart of stone. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about Property of Jesus from 1981's Shot of Love, all the way from New Zealand, is fellow Bobcat Charles Jordan. Hi, Charles. Kia ora, Rob. Wonderful to be here. <laughs> it's awesome to have you. Technology is a marvelous thing. Now, I have had guests on from Australia before, but I think you are our first New Zealander. And so this is very exciting for me. I love talking to people from all over the world. It's just, it's, to me, it's just really exciting. I, I envy people that live in kind of far corners of the world. Of course, it's far corner from me where I am in America because we are, of course, the center of the universe. But, uh, but I'm, I, I would, in some ways, I would, I could fill this whole show asking you about what it's like to live in New Zealand. Are you native to New Zealand or did you move there? Well, no, I, I moved here. I've spent half my life here just about now. My, I've married a New Zealander. I actually grew up in Australia, but, uh, I think I'm, I think I, I sort of, I make a better New Zealander than I do an Australian in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, um, I go back. I do love both countries, you know, I, I kind of, but I, I see myself kind of being here for, for, you know, for, for probably forever and, um, well, forever as I'm walking this earth. And yeah, no, I do. I, I, I it's a wonderful place to be. And, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I can't imagine living anywhere else, to be honest. Mm, now I, I have, there's probably a huge question. Uh, and we don't have time for the whole answer, but I, I am curious about what you meant by you think you're a better New Zealander than you are a better Australian. What, is, what does that mean exactly? Oh, this is interesting. Like, it, you know, we're a little bit like, I don't know, like Canadians and Americans, you know, there's a, there's a sort of a funny relationship. And uh, I mean, I grew up in Australia and, and, you know, we moved over here and I, I sort of settled very quickly into my, my work, my job. And then after a little while, I did go back to Australia and I just found it. I don't know, just a little bit more hostile than I remember it. When I went back, your average person was a little bit more aggressive. You know, the whole nature of things, even the accents, that little bit more sort of, all my Australian friends are going to be listening to this going, you traitor. But, you know, I I just find, um, I just find there's a sort of a a slight gentleness to to New Zealand in a lot of ways that, that sort of suits me. I can't really put my finger on. I love going back to Australia. I mean, it's an amazing place. And, and both countries, they're really, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but they're very different. And um, and I, I like to think I'm kind of a citizen of both countries because my heart's very much in, in both countries. Gotcha. Okay. Here. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think comparing it to Canada and America is probably very apt because, yeah, it does – you know, Canada has its problems like anything else, but it just – from over on this side of the – the border it just seems like a gentler place than, than the craziness uh wild west that we have here in america so okay well that's again that's that's really interesting um because yeah new, new zealand it's it's a place that uh, my wife and i have said we would love to visit sometime she's she's traveled outside of the united states i never have and there's lots of places we want to go and new zealand is one of those like 
dream, you know, trips of like, all right, we block out a month or something to travel because we would love to see it so much. So uh, this is, again, this is sort of fascinating. So as I said at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about property of Jesus, but this is your first time on the show, Charles. So what is your Bob Dylan origin story? Well, um, they always start with a will, but I think the first time that I, I was knowingly exposed to a Bob Dylan song was when I was 10 and um, I was in a, at school. It was 1978 and our, um, our teacher at the time was, he'd been giving us a little bit of a, he took it upon himself to give us a little bit of a history of rock. And uh, once a week, he'd play us like a significant artist. He'd play us the Beatles and he played us Elvis. And one week he played us, he played us Bob Dylan. And the song he played us was positively Fourth Street. <laughs> and, you know, I just remember, first of all, I guess the, the I was first captured by the melody. I mean, it's a very tuneful song. And, you know, and yet there was something, obviously something different to the kind of music I was familiar with. I mean, the lyrics, they, they were aggressive, you know, you've got a lot of nerve. And then, you know, it was very different to like the, I guess, ABBA and the Beach Boys and the kind of songs that I had been familiar with. And I think I remember just going around the playground afterwards, you've got a lot of nerve. And you know, we did, that was sort of my reference point as a 10-year-old to Bob Dylan for, for quite some time. And then strangely enough, I, and then I soon forgot, I forgot about it, you know, I, I, that whole memory, that sort of disappeared somewhere. And then uh, a couple of years later, about four, I guess about four or five years later, I was, like I said, I was, I was living in Australia at the time and... Um, and we only had two like music video shows on in that country. And there was like one on like a, a Sunday night, went, went for an hour, never played Dylan. But there was another one on like a Saturday morning and that would go for about three hours. So they had a little bit more time that they could see be a little bit more expansive in what they chose to play. And uh, one morning they played the Joker Man film clip. And I remember just sitting watching it and immediately, a bit like the first song, like I was captured by the melody. It was just like, you know, it's just beautiful and, and, and really rich and alive. And of course, it had those extraordinary lyrics attached to it, too, like the image of the Joker man and the nightingale by the light of the moon. And I thought, and then, you know, as the song proceeded, there were all of the other extraordinary lyrics, just one after the other. Like you know, those sort of amazing kind of motifs, like the the iron, the idol with the iron head, whose eyes were glowing, and the and the Molotov cocktails and rocks behind every curtain. I just never really encountered language like that in a pop song before. And oh, and of course, you actually had the lyrics printed at the bottom of the video, so you could. It's a great video. It's a really visually arresting video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you had no doubt about what he was saying. So you could certainly absorb what he was saying. And then, as you said, with the video, you had those extraordinary graphics as well, like the like the the images from art history that, you know, the the, the Goya artworks and then the, and the pop culture imagery and then that the, the stuff from the the archival news footage. I just sort of I was just riveted. And, and after that, I sort of knew. I was going to sort of eventually get into Bob Dylan in, in some kind of way. But the real, I guess you just then fast forward just a little bit more, about four years later, I guess the real turning point occurred. A bit like you, Rob, I went to art school in the, um, hmm. in the late 80s. It was, it was 1988 and I enrolled in an art school and it was like in the centre of 
the, the town and I would ride my bike from the suburbs every day and, and just be in this kind of inner city location with amongst all these interesting people. And amongst the people I befriended was this girl or woman. Girl, she, you know, she was in her mid twenties, so she was a, a bit, quite a bit older than, well, a little bit older than me. And um, and she sort of became my friend. And she used to actually invite me over to her, her like her, her um, apartment or flat in the city to um, to kind of stay some nights with her while her um, while her boyfriend was away. And I know that sounds really kind of dodgy, like it's a bit of a Samantha Brown stayed in my house for a couple of months scenario. But, you know, I don't know how it looked to other people, but honestly, nothing inappropriate ever took place. <laughs> I mean, he, he was very, he was very tolerant, you know, and I think she just, uh, she just didn't like being alone, like he, at night. He was a musician, you know, and, and he was a, he was a good guy. And, you know, and she had had, she was a Bob Dylan fan. And as I say, she was older than me. So she, she had a direct line to, she had older, older siblings who were Bob Dylan fans. So she had a direct line to sort of the Dylan from the early 70s and the late 60s. So she'd really been schooled on him and been exposed to him in a big way. And, you know, on one of these early nights, one of these first times that I visited, um, you know, she sat me down and, you know, she she put on um, Blonde on Blonde and, you know, we listened to it from beginning to end. And, I mean, the circumstances were just perfect because, you know, we were in the inner city flat, you know, the wind was rattling the window. There was the sound of the foghorns of the ships in the harbour and the town hall clock. And, and you know, there was just burning incense and there was the herbal tea. And uh, <laughs> and uh, here I was, just that the song was playing. And, of course, initially after the novelty of, of, of Rainy Day Woman and then pledging my time, by the time we got to um, by the time we got to to visions of Johanna, like uh, I guess the effects were really starting to kick in. I like uh, you know I, I was realizing I was just experiencing something very different. It was just so intimate. Like Bob was there in the room, the very hypnotic sort of backing, and just the 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 imagery that he was he was running past us. I just felt like these characters that I was right there in that apartment in, in New York as with amongst the jelly faced women and the you know with with the night watchman flashing his his his, his, his flashlight and then the fish truck loading outside just I was just again just just very engaged in the song and of course that then led to you know one of us must know and suddenly there was like emotional bob and i was connecting with like those lines like um i really did try to get close to you and all of the angst and emotional kind of baggage that was being uh, you know like wrung out in that song i was relating to and you know and particularly in that part of the album obviously there's just an extraordinary run of songs and then and again the melodies you know by the time we got to i want you just the beautiful exquisite tune and the wonderful lyrics that you know the dancing child with the Chinese flute and then just like a woman and so on and so forth till you know finally you get to the last song sad-eyed lady of the lowlands and by then you know I, I, I don't know I've just been transformed and here's this song that this epic song that just is sort of going on forever and again a, a, an endless stream of stunning language and imagery coming at you one after the other with that same hypnotic kind of beat dri rhythm driving it and then, of course, you get to the sort of you get to the sad eyed lady of the lowlands where the sad eyed prophets and you think, oh, a bit of a breather now. And then you hit the you hit the 
my warehouse eyes part of the song. And again, you're just on this huge roller coaster of language and the tune is so epic and the emotion packed into that sort of that that part of the song. Honestly, yeah, it was just basically after that night, I was never the same again. And um, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, I, I went out, she lent me, you know, a couple of, of, of cassettes and I had, you know, I had a, she gave me blood on the tracks. She assured me I should listen to this one. And she <laughs> gave me, she gave me infidels and I got, I got, um, and I got, I got blonde on blonde and then, um, and I listened to those and I, I bought a couple of others. I think I, then I went out and got, um, another side of Bob Dylan. But then about a year later, um, the Oh Mercy came out. And so for the first time, like I got to experience a Bob Dylan's album, uh, fresh off the shelves and mm -hmm. I was kind of experiencing mm -hmm. it in real time with everybody yep. else. And, and I know you've said, I think you had a similar experience too. Yeah. And, you know, that song, I mean, that album, again, it was almost as sort of monumental as hearing Blonde on Blonde for the first time. So, yeah, I've just been a, yeah, I mean, I've just, it's just played a very big part in my life. Like subsequently, um, all of the, you know, all of the albums, I mean, I haven't got every album, but I, I've got, you know, I've got a vast amount of them and those songs, I just, they seem to reference everything I do. And, you know, every day uh, I, I'm sort of being kind of informed in some way by something that I've kind of heard or experienced in a Bob Dylan song. That that sounds like an amazing experience. Like uh, just that, that you can kind of, uh, I mean, you, you know, there were stops along the way, obviously, like you just mentioned with your teacher and then seeing Joker man, but kind of being able to, to pinpoint it to one evening, uh, and, and kind of, you know, knowing that you walked into that evening, a different person than the one who walked out of it. That's, <laughs> I don't have that. And that's, that's, I, I envy you kind of that experience that, that sounds, uh, kind of amazing to have someone older than you kind of guiding you through this in, in a certain way. So, uh, that's, uh, that's remarkable. That's a, that's a, it's a very evocative story. And she sounds like the kind of woman that is in like half the Bob Dylan songs that he's uh, yes, describing. You <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she just sounds like that kind of person. So that's fantastic. Now I do want to ask you something about your, your teacher, uh, playing you positively for straight. Did he give you? any context as to what you were going to hear like he, he this is bob dylan and this is the guy that did this and that or it was just hey here's bob dylan here's the song or did he not even do that no he like, i'm honest I, like, I can't remember the exact i know i just remember the, the the ones he did play but he would have his his mission was to sort of I guess to give us some sort of context for the music. Like I think he just felt that ten year olds need to know this kind of stuff. He was he was a neat teacher. He he was a little bit sounds of like it, yeah. Yeah, he he drove a Citroen, you know, and he um and he was a little bit he's just a little bit alternative in a lot of ways at the time. <laughs> but um, you know, like I remember actually, I must say, he was a great teacher. He actually one teacher who actually helped me to learn to read. He did invest a lot of time, so he was a passionate guy uh, in that respect that he you know I, it was probably quite young to the job I mean everyone seems old when you're little but sure um you know he he did sort of I I just think he must have just felt that he loved music and he loved uh, he, he wanted other people to sort of at our young age to sort of have that knowledge and to even see if we can connect with those songs and you know I mean I might not have under he probably would have said stuff about counterculture and all of that but it possibly uh, wouldn't have struck that much of you know, a nerve to, in my, my mind or had much that I could relate it to when he said that. But that was his, that was his goal with that, that, that little lesson of his. 
That's really cool. And and like we were talking about the Joker Man video, if there's a video for you to see, that's a really good one to see if you're just getting into him because we we're just talking about it's a full of arresting images. Uh, putting the lyrics right on the screen obviously helps for a lot of people that are maybe you know, find it tough to understand exactly what he's saying. Um, we should mention just because you, you brought it up, uh, the, 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 the person behind that video that worked with Bob on that video was, uh, the, the famous Esquire art director, George Lois, who actually just passed away last month. Um, oh, no. you know, if you go and look him up, I mean, the man was responsible for movie posters and some of the most famous Esquire. Uh, covers and advertising that uh, you know in American culture of the last half of the 20th century and he collaborated with Bob uh and I think he described we might have even talked about this on the Joker Man episode which was many years ago but he he described the video as quote poetry right in your fucking face that's how he <laughs> described it was and you know that's a good thing because I mean there are other videos that this show that you watch could have showed you that are not quite as good, you know, or maybe just not as visually interesting, like the sweetheart, like you video, it's an okay video, yeah, it's but it's just a performance piece basically. And, you know, Joker man has got so much going on that I can imagine being, you know, a young person and just you know, catching this and going, what am I? Wow. What, this is what a music video is. This is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of videos up to that point, but I guess it was just speaking to, to so many more sort of deeper levels like you know i mean i guess that the the bringing together of that those that those that those kind of that kind of language and the imagery in the song and then linking it to the the all of that you know, all of those references from the outside world it sort of it kind of couldn't help but feeling it was highlighting bob's relevance and the relevance of his music in the in the big picture and I think I was kind of, you know, and a lot of the pop that I was listening to, obviously, you know, Johnny Cougar and, and what have you, you know, in the early 80s, like it was not, um, you know, or, or Tears for Fears or, or whatever the music is. It just, it wasn't steeped in something so, you know, so, so profound. Mm. And that's what I, I think I was ready to sort of connect with. Very cool. That's, that's an amazing experience. That's, that, that is, that's just absolutely fantastic. So have you had a chance to see him live? I mean, Bob doesn't go to Australia or New Zealand that much, but he, but he has been there. I've seen him, I've seen him uh, like three times and I know like, you know, hearing some of the people, guests you've had on, that's, that's a, a meager amount of, of, of times to see him. Yeah, but you and also I, live on <laughs> the other side yeah. of the planet. So I mean, <laughs> we'll has, give me a mulligan been... on that one. Yeah, but he has been and I've not seen him. And I, I kind of put that down to the fact that I don't really do concerts very well. I, I kind gotcha. of, uh, I mean, I did the experience that I had with him. I saw him the first time in, in I think it was 98 in Auckland. And, and that was, that was a, you know, that was a good concert. Then I saw him again in 2003. And the last time I saw him was in about 2008 or 2009, when he was like touring the Modern Times album. But, you know, I go to these concerts and I sort of get myself worked up into a kind of state, you know, I get preoccupied <laughs> with what the set list is going to be or, and I just wanting a certain song or, or if a song is played, I'm sitting there expecting to sort of be elevated into some sort of euphoric rapture by the song or I'm kind of <laughs> conscious of the people next to me you know or, or what's going on and I just don't you know I'm just not a really a concert person 
but you know having said that like there are memorable times like you know he he played he played you're a big girl now the first time in Auckland and that was like oh a song like especially for me you know and it was magic you know he he performs so well these days and then he did a oh, he did a um he did um uh, um boots of spanish leather the second time just with the acoustic guitar and that was um that 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 well actually could have been really good except the people around me there were some people around me who were sort of talking all the way through the song <laughs> and I started to get I started to get really anxious I'm thinking, I want to tell these people to shut up this is a really good song and then I'm thinking <laughs> do I turn around and tell them to shut no no just listen to the song Charles you'll enjoy it and then you know blabber blabber in the seat behind me and, and to be honest it really spoiled what could have been uh, a uh. magic moment but it just goes to show the sort of the way I my headspace when I go to concerts and the last one I think the funny enough the best experience I ever had at a Bob Dylan concert was the last one because I only just got modern times and so I hadn't really connected with all the songs yet and toward the end of the show he played Nettie Moore and I am um, I, I, I was just like I said. It was I was like I was hearing the song for the first time, like I was connecting with the song for the first time. Yet here he was performing it live, and and I just remember thinking, wow, I was hanging on every word, and and so I sort of probably felt, well, that maybe is as exciting as it's going to get. But you know, I, I now I think I'm ready to see him again, and I've been kind of following the the, the rough and rowdy ways tour. And I know the set list, so I don't have to get too worked up about what he's going to play. Mm. And I just think I, I think I, I, I have to see that concert if he brings it to that tour, if he brings it to to Auckland, because um, because those are extraordinary songs. And, I, you know, and I just I think I, I really have to experience that. And it's a different Bob to the Bob from, you know, 2008. And mm-hmm. I want to I want to I want to have that experience. I think it's almost guaranteed he's going to come around because if the tour is going all the way into 2024, it, you know, come on. I know it's, it, it probably takes a, it's a whole lot of extra effort to fly the whole guys, all everybody all the way down there, but he's done it. I mean, good Lord, he performed for us from Australia at the Oscars, you know, so he yeah, does it, you know, so uh, yeah, you, I, I agree with you. I am not big on concerts. I go for, I go see Bob. But most times yeah, yeah. I don't bother with concerts because I like you, I find them just kind of annoying and, yeah, you know, just like it's just not the most optimal experience in the world for me to listen to no, music. No. But Bob, I make the exception. So that's that's fantastic. That's great. You've had the chance to see him even three times because, like I said, he's yeah. he's not over there that much. It's really no, far no, away. No. So um now, are there like do you have a lot of friends that listen to Bob? Is it something like when you you mentioned going to art school? Like were there art school friends that listen to him? Was it, is this something that like you have a lot of people to share this with or is Bob not, yeah. you know, it's not something that comes up a whole lot. I think that's why it's such a, like a, a privilege to be actually able to talk to you because <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can talk to people about Bob, but you know, you just, you get to a point where you think you've kind of gone a bit too far and you've <laughs> lost them because they don't know all the references, you know, they don't know <laughs> Samantha Brown, they don't know, you know, and it just, you sort of feel that, oh, maybe I'm pushing it. i got work colleagues, I can sort of, you know, I can kind of touch on the topic a little bit, you know, particularly music, I can't, you know, but I've got friends, I mean, I did have friends, like I remember when I got Oh Mercy, my friends at the time were sort of, got into it with me as well, and, and I'm still friends with one or two of those guys from school, and, you know, there are people who, who you know, if I do find, encounter somebody and, and they are a deep Bob fan, 
you know that I, I you know I really like to go the distance in any conversation with them and um and you know and have a lot of fun but no no I don't really get to have a conversation like the you know I'm having with you now like very often so. talking about a deep cut from one of his lesser famous albums <laughs> something yeah, like that yeah. you know so okay well I, I, let's talk about property of Jesus now I'm going to ask you of course why this song but I will just say at the top like I I've mentioned uh, you know across other episodes when we get into the religious material the born again uh, albums the born again era as it were um if it's a song that I find is so steeped in, in the religion that I don't, it's not something I can, I can relate to. I just transpose it. You know, I take the yes. sentiment and I move it onto something that relates to me. And this is a song that this is that song. This is one of these kinds of songs. What I'm, this is what I'm thinking of when I say it, because lyrically, uh, I find the song to be kind of like, well, we'll get into, you know, lyrically, I think it's great, but it, the sentiment I don't really relate to, but I transpose it as simply, well, this is for anybody who feels that they're not part of, you know, the crowd anymore, that they're being pushed aside. They're being made fun of. They're being mocked for their beliefs. And it could be any kind of belief, not necessarily religious belief. Now, Bob is talking religious belief, property of Jesus. The song could not be more explicit, but mm. It could be any sort of belief that you feel that other people are looking down on you upon. And so that's how I find it something to relate to in the song. And it doesn't hurt that this song is really to me, like it's a great melody. Like it's an incredibly catchy song. And I remember getting shot of love and thinking this is one of my favorites right from the very beginning, because it is kind of that shot of, I mean, the, the cover of shot of love is that kind of like a, Roy Lichtenstein pastiche sort of thing where it's supposed to be kind of a piece of pop art. And this song feels like that to me where it's like, yeah, it's so poppy and so melodic. I feel like if the song had been called anything other than property of Jesus, this could have been like a hit single for him. I think mm-hmm. it's so catchy, but I am fascinated. Why did you want to talk about this one? Well, I knew there's so many extraordinary like Bob Dylan songs, so many that you actually you haven't yet, yet to feature on your on your program, and um, like amazing songs that have spoken to me in so many different ways and continue to influence and inform me throughout my life. Um, this one though, it's not one of them, but it, it is <laughs> nonetheless a song that I do find very like quite fascinating and. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I've got a lot of affection for it, but it's also like quite a like it's a confounding sort of song, and and I guess I guess I got issues with it, and I I just thought that well, if I was to sort of sit down and talk through those issues with you, we might be able to sort of like move on. But I do I must say, but I also I do have I, there's a little bit of a backstory with this song and me too, which sort of makes it sort of so it has got a little bit of a role. It has had a little bit of a moment w- with me in my life, like uh, which makes it stand out a little bit from some of the other songs. Like um, before I was a proper, like, like before I'd had that big conversion to Bob Dylan, so to speak, I, I was exposed to this song when um, when I was about 15. I sort of, I was dabbling in Christianity as a, as a young person. So were my friends at school and we, we go to church and we go to a youth group on a, um, 
on like a Friday Friday night and we'd go and, um, you know, we'd go roller skating or we'd go to the movies or, or barbecues on the beach, what have you. But quite often at the end of those Friday nights, the people from the church, often the young like married couples in the church, they'd kind of host the youth group and we'd go back to their house and we'd have like a little supper and maybe a little bit of religious time. And, and this was like the mid 80s. So, you know, you go, the, the inclination in anybody's new house is you go straight to the record cabinet and you, <laughs> you look at what music they've got there sitting in the underneath you know all the LPs like stacking up and you flick through them and of course you know there was the regular suspects when it comes to like like Christian music Keith Green and Larry Norman and Randy Stonehill and you know maybe a little bit of um maybe a little bit of, of mainstream music like safe mainstream music like, the, like America or Super Tramp but you know after after a little while, we used to spot the um the, the the shot of love album, and as you said, with that very kind of high impact album cover, like albeit slightly garish album cover, mm. it really did stand out, you know. And and you know, at the time too, like in Christian circles, it was talked about that Bob was you know had converted to Christianity, and and that was seen as sort of kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a mark of, of an acknowledgement of, 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 you know, of the power of, of, of Christianity that, that, you know, someone like Bob could sort of, could, could find, you know, could, could become a Christian. And we, you know, so, you know, we, having said that, we saw this album numerous times. We didn't play it. It took a while. But then one day we decided, well, we're going to play a song from it. So naturally we went to the song that was probably the one that stood out because it mentioned Jesus. So, and I remember listening to, property of jesus a bit like you said it's impossibly catchy tune and it's <laughs> got like um big chorus you know and just singing along and i guess you know for us as young people who were kind of experiencing a little bit of the marginalization that he describes in the song we probably weren't it was just in our minds we were sort of a little bit different now because the other kids are all going out and experimenting with drinking and you know and yet we're going to youth group on a on a friday night and <laughs> you know we're living this very safe kind of sheltered sort of existence that we sort of felt um you know uh, we felt that it sort of spoke to me a little bit in that way and also it sort of felt uh, like a very assertive song i felt sort of that bob was kind of going into bat for us you know and, and as Christians and that here was this guy who's already got all of this, this respect and he's like sticking it to anyone who's going to, you know, kind of say, having to have a bird, bad word to say about, you know, people who, who, who have kind of embraced Christianity. So, but that was then, and I've come a long way since then. And I'm kind of a different person now. So certainly um, it's a very different kind of song uh, that I relate to it very differently now, but, you know, in the broader context of Bob's whole career, it's just, fascinating in the the position it holds in that and I, I just think it's a great song to talk about for for so many reasons and and I yes yeah, so I'm very very pleased that I can sort of we can touch on some of that yeah I mean it's it's thematically not that different really from positively fourth street you know it's no, this idea right. of, of him saying to this crowd you know you're making fun of me because I'm not the thing you want me to be I'm no longer the thing that I was uh, yes. you know, now the, the whole notion of being property of someone else, uh, you know, makes a lot of people understandably makes your kind of your back go up a little because you're like, well, I'm not anybody's property. And, yes. you know, the notion of being the, the, the piece of a piece of property, even for Jesus Christ is 
upsetting. And it, it makes, you know, at least for me, you kind of roll my eyes a little and go, well, all right, because I, I don't know what you deal with, you know, in New Zealand, but we deal over here with a lot of people who are, let's say, have been in power for a very long time and they are getting the feeling that they are losing even just a tiny micron of that power. And they are now the most put act like they are the most put upon people in the world. You know, there are lots of people who are like, I need to shove my beliefs down your throat. And if you don't like it, that's what means I'm being oppressed, which is not oppression. That is not, <laughs> that is not oppression. Yeah, I know. But- there's that 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 is unfortunately something that goes on here and to me there's a whiff of that in this song of like you know oh poor me uh and you know on some level you're like really you're bob dylan you know is it really was it really that hard i mean maybe maybe his friends you know he he goes back to this theme in in a number of these songs where he talks about people that have put him down uh, you know, either direct friends or you talk about you know John Lennon said, I don't believe in Dylan. I don't believe in God, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, kind of did this broadside against him in public. So this is obviously something that really chafed at Bob. I don't know how much it it puts it makes you have sympathy for him, because, again, you're like, well, all right, really? Is it that is it that bad? But when that happens, I find at least and then in this song, he's able to rely on pure craftsmanship to put it across. Because the lyrics are so, to me, so interesting that it, and as we already said, like the melody is so great that that makes it work, even though you may be in in, in the end, you're like, well, all right, hold on. I mean, like the next verse, he says, stop your conversation when he passes on the street. Hope he falls upon himself. Oh, won't that be sweet? Because he can't be exploited by superstition anymore because he can't be bribed or bought by the things that you adore. First of all. Someone who has decided to come a born again Christian saying uh, uh, he's not exploited by superstition. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> but again, just the, lyrically, like the, you, because you can't be bribed or bought by the things that you adore. I mean, he's, re- as you say, he's really kind of sticking it in people's face, getting back at them. And as you were saying, if you're feeling slightly that way, that's that, you know, Bob's fighting for you. And that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's like, particularly that verse, it's like what struck me is that he's, um, he's just beginning to sound a little paranoid. Mm. Like when he, when he says, stop your conversation, when he passes on the street, he's like casting judgment on his audience for like supposedly casting judgment on this character. And uh, like, we don't know that anybody has even thought or said anything negative at all about Mm. this guy, whether this guy is Bob or Bob's just speaking as an advocate for this guy. But, you know, these are just the thoughts and opinions he's projecting onto his audience. But, you know, somehow it kind of elevates him into a position where he, he feels he's entitled to cast all sorts of judgment on his audience. <laughs> that And he did, he really doesn't hold back. He's what, as you said, he's telling them that they're exploited by superstition and that they're bribed and bought and that they're itching for a fight. You know, I just I kind of like I mean, that's what I sort of like about the song is I just like his hostility. You know, I like that he's. <laughs> He's so volatile. And, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit, this song. Like, you ever been in those situations where you've just had an argument with somebody and, you know, you've kind of been going at a little bit and you might still be in the same room, but they've decided to stop arguing. So they're just sitting there in silence and you you (laughs) kind of want to keep arguing. 
So but they're not giving you anything to work with. So you then start sort of saying, well, you really think blah, blah, blah. And then you so you argue for them. So then you can come back and retaliate with the uh, with the point that you want to make. And it's just a kind of, a, a you know, it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's just it's kind of funny. But it's also a little kind of it's just, a, you know, it's just just a, well, I mean, obviously hasn't got, you know, he he's kind of kind of he's just made us the sort of the that the, we're, we're the ones that he's clashing with in his argument he's directing everything to us the viewer so you know we we've just got to assume that he thinks that that we are the you know we are these people that with the heart of stone said something on the you, you know you mentioned the 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 reference to the property i thought that was kind of interesting because you know as a term you know, it sort of makes sense, first of all, because, you know, you um you think of it as um like, you know, yeah, it makes sense. The property of Jesus is like, you know, from a Christian perspective, like, you know, Jesus like treasures us and well, treasures his his flock, his his Christians like they they are his property and he protects them. And much like we, you know, as in a secular perspective, we sort of, you know, we, we look after our own possessions and we we protect them and we look after them and. We, you know, we always know where our phone is, you know, but hmm. there's also a slightly, as you said, it is a slightly disconcerting kind of um, term to use as well, especially when you're talking about like a person, like a human. You know, it kind of reminds me of the sort of language that's often associated like with cults and with gangs, you know, the sort of organizations that people join and that they swear allegiance to. Those mm-hmm. kind of, you know, games and places where you, you know, you, they, you get a tattoo and that you can never get out of. And because I know those people, their members are often referred to as the property of the cult or the property of the gang. And mm. that's kind of, and, and so that's sort of, you know, but that, I think in a way, I feel this kind of adds a little bit of deliberate sort of swagger to the song. It sort of toughens it up. It's tough kind of language. And in, in a kind of way, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, get off my property or it's like, you know, or I'm a member of a gang like with the most badass leader of them all, Jesus. So, you know, don't mess with me because because uh, <laughs> I'm his property. It does sort of make the song, particularly in the chorus, because it's got that very empowering sort of those power chords behind it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a fist pumping sort of chorus. So I do think it's a good term in, in a sense because it, it is a sort of a, an empowering well, sort of empowering or disempowering, depending how you per- perceive it. But, you know, I, I can sort of I could certainly I can relate to it then and I still enjoy it now. It's a, but it's an interesting it's an interesting term or a turn of phrase to use when describing people. That's that's a really interesting idea. But, yeah, I mean, we I didn't really think about the the notion of gangs, you know, that kind of idea of like you know being part of something is so powerful that you you subsume your personality into it and as you said that can be really dangerous when it's in a cult we're we're in this country we're living through it right now i guess the world is in some ways um it's a lot of people who um you know we don't need to go down these roads too far but there's a lot of people out there to whom they need they have nothing in their lives anymore they're bored they're cosmically bored and they want to belong to something bigger than themselves so oh i know it's there's this cabal that's you know running the world and i i'm the only person that knows the secret truth and it's that kind of stuff yes. you know and it's that it's like oh wow you're the special person because you know the secret codes you you know this or this this letter means this and all this kind of stuff <laughs> um so yeah i mean that, that and, and as you say the chorus is so damn catchy and in that again that's the thing where it's 
Bob Dylan songs are, any given Bob Dylan song is, you know, how much inspiration and how much craftsmanship, you know, and some songs are 90, 10, some are probably the best ones are like 50, 50, but then there are other ones where, like you said, this, the sentiment is probably a tough, bitter pill to swallow in some ways, because you say it is a hostile song, but it's so, again, it's so catchy that you kind of don't notice it. Yeah, like it goes down, and again, that chorus is that you know with the with the backup singers, you've got something better, da 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 da, and then it goes back in. I mean, it's we're not to jump ahead a little, but like this song has been played a total of zero times live, <laughs> which is a damn shame. I would imagine this would have crushed in concert. Like I would think this would have been a real yeah. rave up, and yet never, not even once. I know. But I've wondered that, too, because I went looking for sort of live versions because I, I know I, I've seen I recently saw so a while back. I saw the the video of him performing. I ain't going to hell for nobody. And I thought another Man, great song. He was yeah. on fire in that song. The performance. Yep. He was just so in the song. And then I'm thinking, man, this one, if he was busting this out at that era, at that time with that band or, or around about. You know, I certainly would have got me up and that would have given me that euphoric moment I was looking for in a concert. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that he, he, he hasn't sort of, uh, he hasn't chosen to play it. Yeah. The, um, I did find a live version by, uh, Chrissy Hind. She did it oh, in yes. concert once. And it's sort of funny. You get, I think the audience is a little like, what is this song? Like, <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, but it, again, it has that, and they, she doesn't do it exactly the same way as Bob does. But yeah, it, you would think that the concerts he was doing, I mean, this, this album came after he had kind of finished the Born Again only concerts, where it really right, was like yeah. an old timey revival show. But still, I mean, he was still doing a lot of this material into like 80, um, 81, like right at the end of that tour, although he had stopped touring in, in 82. Two, I believe. I think that that was like a whole year that went by. They didn't do any touring at all. But I mean, yeah, this this would have just crushed live, and it's no nothing. Um, so the the song continues as when the whips that's keeping you a lot keeping you in line doesn't make him jump. Say he's hard of hearing. Say that he's a chump. He say out of step with reality as he try to test his nerve because he doesn't pay no tribute to the king that you serve. And then the next verse is say that he's a loser. Because he got no common sense, because he don't increase his worth at someone else's expense, because he's not afraid of trying. Now, this is what it says on BobDylan.com. Because he's not afraid of trying, because he don't look at you and smile, because he doesn't tell you jokes or fairy tales, say he's got no style. That's not what he sings on the record. That's a little different. In fact, he transposes the lines in the, the, the version on Shot of Love that you hear. The third line is it ends with, because he's got no style, because he doesn't tell you jokes or fairy tales, he's failed to make you smile. So he's changed it just a little bit. And I'm always fascinated by that stuff that, like, why, like, who did that? Is Bob still rewriting the song? For a song that he's never performed live, why is he bothering rewriting it? Or did some other person transpose it? But even that minor change, it seems like, wow, why would they even bother with the song that's never been done live? Yeah, yeah. Now that's um yeah I've noticed a few little things and yeah there was the say that he's a chump I always thought it says that he's a chum but I know that appears in another line I, I don't <laughs> know the version I saw I always thought it was a chum but uh, I think it's chump is the one that I, either way I, I kind of know think I know what a chum is but I don't really know what a chump is 
but that that's kind of intriguing. Oh, is that not a word? Is that is that not like like a, a colloquialism in in, uh, no, in New what, Zealand? What, a chump? No, no. What what's a chump? Uh, like a uh, like a loser, like a, 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 a <laughs> more not like a loser, a fool, a fool. You oh, right. someone's yeah, a chump yeah. if you pull something over them. And they're too dumb to know it. That's a chump. That's a that's a, oh, that's right. a word yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. Yeah. No, a chum is sort of. I, I think I've heard chum, but oh, that's that's it. Well, you learn something new. There hey, we go. Just one thing. I was just you know that first verse that you read. I mean, that's a, just that first one that you read a moment ago about the um uh, when the whip that's keeping you in line. Mm-hmm. I actually find this a kind of a a slightly scary verse, you know, because it it feels as though that Bob is kind of suggesting that we're all you know, pretty much like, I know it sounds heavy, but like in allegiance with Satan, you know, because he, when he says, he says like, he, um, say he's out of step with reality as you try to test his nerve. I mean, it's kind of almost as if like we, like the person that he's talking to, we are all merely the tools of the devil and we're being kind of applied by the devil to test the steadfastness of this guy's faith. You know, and I thought, well, because that's sort of what's what's kind of being said. Meanwhile, you know, we're like good Satan is our king, the devil's our king, and we're serving him, and you know, we're paying tribute to him, and we're sort of being, you know, we're being whipped by him. We're, um, you know, we're, we're. I mean, it's taking a very, very sort of, you know, kind of gothic sort of take on on that sort of verse, <laughs> but also, and it touches on something else that you said too. Um, it's also kind of frightening, like when you think about a verse like this, because it does sort of highlight the, uh, the way a person can become like so fanatical and consumed with religious zeal that they begin to view those that kind of don't share their their faith or, or their sort of their, their position as some kind of like threat, like we sort of become the enemy because mm-hmm. we're being perceived as sort of like, you know, or we're trying to undermine their faith, you know, we're, we're going to sort of, we're, we're, and I don't know, that's just the sort of, I don't know, I think that that's kind of, you know, I mean, that's a very real sort of situation at times in the world. And the mm-hmm. last thing you want to be is kind of, you know, when you think you're, you know, and if someone has become, a, you know, a Christian, you know, you don't want to kind of just go and interact with them the way you used to. And but in the knowledge that they think that you're a kind of a heathen who's going to sort of like kind of, you know, kind of cause them sort of grief. So it is a, a a kind of a I don't know it, it just does touch on I guess that the the heaviness that is kind of kind contained within this song if you can kind of look a little deeper than just the sort of the novelty of it because it is I mean I like to view it as a kind of funny song now but it is a, a kind of a pretty heavy song at the same time too. That's funny I never really thought about the the. The, the satanic angle when i read that line with the whip that keep that's keeping you in line i always took it as just you know capitalism or whatever social forces uh are you know again th- again this is a guy who is feeling so put upon that he's he then turning his finger back at other people but i i always took it as just saying you know you people are concerned with you know pretty meaningless stuff you know uh you know, uh, having a nice car or a big house or any of that kind of just phony stuff. That's the whip that's keeping you in line because it's keeping you going to those jobs. It's keeping you doing yeah. things you don't want to do just to pay the bills while, you know, 
that's the the guy that he's describing doesn't make him jump. He's free from that, which is a little like, well, is he? I mean, come on, you know, is he? I mean, what are you talking about? We're all living in this horrible capitalist system for the most part. So that's again, there's a lot of self pity in this song, and you yeah, know, it's yeah. you get past it by again the, the exuberance of the performance. So then the the final verse after the chorus is he says, "You can laugh at salvation." You can play Olympic games. You think that when you'll rest at last, you'll go back from where you came. But you've picked up quite a story and you've changed since the womb. What happened to the real you? You've been captured, but by whom? And, you know, man, there's a lot to unpack in those four lines. First of all, just the phrase Olympic games is just kind of an interesting phrase. Olympic, like, I guess, games at that level, a high level, the most you know, it's a, it's a meaningless thing to go play a game sort of, but it's, it's playing being played at the, the most, you know, highest level imaginable. But then this line about, you think that when you, when you rest at last, you'll go back from where you came. So he's now accusing this person, this, this imagined enemy, right? And he's saying, you think that when you'll rest at last, you'll go back from where you came. Well, that, that sounds like someone who does have religious conviction. He's he's sort of he's accusing these people of not having religious conviction, but it sounds like that sounds like someone who has a lot of faith to me. You for someone who says, "When I rest at last, I'll go back from where I came." You'll I'll return to the universe. I'll return to the earth from which I came. That sounds like someone who does have faith, and yet he is spent the whole song talking about how these you you're kind of a bunch of faithless heathens, and you're you're controlled by the whip. I, I don't know. That, that line is like, well, that, that why why is that sounds like such a bad thing? It sounds like that person has a, a lot of faith, not your faith. And is that the problem? Is that it's not exactly your faith? Is that what the issue is? But that that line has always struck strange to me as if that's a really terrible thing to say to somebody. I actually think it's kind of an ominous line. I think he's saying to us, like, you think that when you rest at last, you'll go back from where you came and that we have this kind of notion that, oh, well, we're just going to sort of die and, you know, we'll just go back to the ether, you know, and we'll just, you know, we'll just kind of exist out there. But like he's, you know, I mean, he's never been afraid to sort of go hard out with the kind of the inclination of what, you know, what what sort of eternal damnation looks like. I mean, yeah. it's obviously it's not as specific as like as, you know, knowing you'll be praying to God to kill you, but you won't be able to die. But it does kind <laughs> of suggest that to me that he's kind of thinking that you are still kind of deluded that, no, you are you're not going to go back from where you came. You're going to go to hell, you know, and. <laughs> And it's funny because when he sings like, you know, just on that, yeah, just on that last bit where I kind of get this, I actually find this kind of funny, but when he sings like, what happened to the real you, you've been captured, but by whom? I think that's him sort of telling us again that, yeah, you you are now the property, you're not the property of Jesus, you're the property of the devil. And I kind of imagine, I can't help imagining the guy or me or whoever the dude is that he's singing to in this song is kind of being led away by the devil to some sort of internal torment. And he kind of looks up to the clouds and there, there's his old mate, you know, surrounded by Jesus with all the celestial light beaming down. <laughs> and, and, you know, and the guys think saying, you called me a chump, you know, and the other guys thinking, dang, you know, I wish right now that I was actually the property of Jesus. Because, it, it, you know, I mean, it is, it's not a, you know, it's obviously, it's not as, as kind of as, it, 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 you know, it's not like um 
it's not like a foot of pride or, or, or a specific description of hell, but Bob has given us so many other descriptions of hell. I just can't help thinking he's alluding to one of his, his kind of, uh, one of the many kind of scenarios he's described in earlier songs when he gets to that point in the song. Hmm. I, yeah. Now that you say it, that makes a lot of sense. You think that when you rest at land, like you're fooling yourself because you're going to burn. You know, this this is really quite a like a theme song for people that believe in the rapture. You know, this is that kind of thing where they want to yeah, yeah. as, as they get sucked up into the clouds and they're watching everybody just stay down on the on on earth turned into a hellscape. So, yeah, uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a grim song put across with a lot of life and a lot of verve. And uh, that's what makes it so incredibly poppy. Uh, despite these these lyrics so yeah it's it's it it's still kind of a head scratcher but man when i listened to it again today i was like man this thing is again it's just i <laughs> i found myself singing along to it you know <laughs> even though it's singing about you've been captured but by whom you know you've changed since the womb these are not lyrics you normally think to yourself like singing out loud and yet i found myself doing it um the only cover of this I could find outside of the Chrissy Hino just talked about was uh, Sinead O'Connor, uh, someone who right. knows a little something about uh, religious bigotry. And uh, she covered it on the Chimes of Freedom record. And it's a terrific cover. I mean, it, she, right. sounds, she sounds pissed off even more than Bob, which is understandable oh, yeah. because I think, um, I think everyone can agree she got handed a raw deal. Uh, by yes. society and uh she's probably st- still pretty pissed about it sometimes i think she was her own worst enemy but nevertheless she was ahead of the curve on a lot of things when it comes to these kinds of subjects and she paid a heavy price for it but uh her cover i think is 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 ter- it doesn't sound like this one the, the in fact anything the chorus she kind of quiets down on the chorus as opposed to getting louder right. uh but but her vocal is terrific on it can I just, yeah, I, I actually haven't, I, I mean, I know it sounds bad, but I, I kind of, I, I knew, I read that she, I saw that she she had a cover of it, and I just, I don't know, I, I kind of, I, I'm not really a big kind of Sinead O'Connor fan, and I, I kind of stopped short of, of listening to that, which I know wasn't good research for this episode, but <laughs> I just kind of didn't want to, I wasn't sure it was going to leave me in a happy place, so I gotcha. just kind of, <laughs> I, I didn't listen to it. But one thing, actually, just one other thing I, I just kind of wanted to touch on with this song that I, I kind of think is kind of quirky, but, you know, a little odd in, a, in an odd kind of Bob sort of way, is that, you know, the whole premise of this song seems to be built up on reinforcing some sort of like vague stereotype that, that Christians like are really uncool, that, you know, that they're the losers or they're chums, they've got no style. And, you know, like, I don't know, it's, it's just almost as if having to endure that perception is a small price you sort of pay for having the sort of well, well for having for becoming the property of jesus but i, I don't know I, I, i've never felt that christians were uncool at all and then they're, they're not all led ned flanders's you know they're, they're, they're kind of <laughs> i really i don't know if that is a common perception but bob is like building it up as though that's the way you know people perceive christians because i've always you know i've always admired people who are able to sort of adhere to some kind of faith or can live by some kind of moral code, you know, and that there's, you know, there's something actually really impressive about not succumbing to like the predictable array of vices that most regular people do. And also, I, I also think sometimes, you know, if you, if somebody's already like pretty cool to begin with, you know, and then you find out that they actually are a Christian, it somehow adds a little bit of extra cool to them, <laughs> like particularly if, 
be like, particularly if they're, they're a famous rock star or a sportsman or something, you know, that you kind of expect them to indulge in a certain amount of hedonistic behavior. So because they can, you know, but when you find out that, that they don't because of their faith, it does kind of elevate them even a little more above the rest of the pack. And, you know, I just, I don't know, I just feel that right from the word go, as I said in this song, he's just projecting this kind of like negative stereotype onto this character as if that's, you know, the standard perception that people have. And, you know, and as you said, that's that's obviously I mean, that's a theme for a song to begin with, because everybody's going to have some sort of negative perception of some kind of person out there in the world. And they're going to find all sorts of reasons to sort of hate on them. And I guess, you know, for that reason, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of you can sort of see his position in writing this song. But I don't know. I just always felt that that it was kind of like, uh, you know, it was just building it up a little bit more just for the sake of making it a cool song. <laughs> I, again, I think that's probably a lot what's going on. And, you know, we, again, we don't know like his personal life. I feel like this theme has come up in, in a number of the songs from this period about a former friends mocking you or former yes. acquaintances saying that you're not this anymore. And maybe, you know, maybe he just had one too many of those, you know, he just had yes. one too many friends rolling their eyes at his religious conversion. Now I will say yeah. again, we know the stories of that when he was making slow train coming and he was trying to convert Jerry Wexler and Jerry yeah. Wexler had that famous comment, you know, Bob, I'm an old Jew. Let's just make a record, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I would say if I found someone who was constantly trying to convert me, I at some point would have to say to them, you got to knock this off. We can be friends, yes. but you got to knock that shit off. Uh, you know, you yeah. have to yep, show me yep, enough yep. respect that you're going to stop doing this and you get you you would hope that your behavior by itself is enough of an example yes. by itself that you don't have to then proselytize to me you know um i will i will you know as we're wrapping up here i will give the a real world example that i have and maybe i've mentioned this on the show before i don't know it's been it's done so many shows at this point but, um, I've, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic and I gave it all up and I definitely had a very negative view of religion. And I still do for the most part for, in terms of organized religion, not so much spirituality, but religion. But, um, uh, when I was uh, a freelance illustrator for many years, I had free time. And so I decided, well, I'm going to do some volunteer work because I feel like I should. I've got the time. And I ended up uh, working at a, not working, volunteering for a, uh, a company that did braille transcriptions where you would be paired up with a, uh, a, a person who could not see and they would do the braille transcriptions of stuff that I was reading because there was a whole thing about the, there was only so many mistakes a braille transcription could have and they had to be proofread. So I would sit and read various passages, sometimes from a novel, sometimes a textbook, sometimes a nonfiction book. And the person I was paired with, and it was the same person every week, would do, would would go over it in Braille. And if she found a mistake, she would say, all right, hold on, stop. This is says wrong, whatever, whatever, whatever. And she was a devout Christian. And, uh, but she never once tried to, to proselytize to me. And she was an enormously sweet, loving, great person. And and in a lot of ways, she was, she helped move me off of my prejudice because she was a a real world example that I had of, Oh, okay. You know what? They're not all like that. (laughs) You know, they're not a, this is, she's a really solid, wonderful person. She loves her, her seeing eye dog. And, 
Um, you know, and, and so she was the best example I could have had to get me off of that relatively narrow worldview, but she never once ever talked about her faith outside of me asking her about it. And I always appreciated that. And so she was the best possible example a person like me could have had. And so, yeah, for someone to, you know, maybe if Bob in the beginning was constantly Bible thumping, you would get your friends saying, well, you leave me alone, especially, you know, George Harrison, who's, you know, <laughs> he's probably not going <laughs> to, I'm not, I'm not buying this, Bob. But yeah, as you're saying, it's he, Bob is sort of creating this character. He's almost kind of creating a little bit of a straw man just to get upset about it. And it's like, well, you're the one creating the straw man. But like we said, the song is so compelling by itself as a piece of song craft that it works anyway. And I think of maybe more songs had like this had been on shot of love. We know that he had an amazing amount of material for shot of love. A lot of which didn't make it on some masterpieces of songs. And we know that he really was proud of this record and it was very disappointed that it was received so relatively poorly. I think it sold even worse than saved and it took infidels to kind of get him back on track a little bit, but uh, man, if he had applied this kind of, radio friendly sound to a lot more of the songs i think on shadow of love that you might have had more of a hit record who knows maybe not maybe the song title just threw people off immediately or something but um but it's it absolutely it's a terrific song you know it's a shame that it's it's not something he's ever thought to do live but man it's it's just a really terrific kind of fun yet simultaneously dark song you know when you say that the the title put people off i was looking around and like Bob doesn't mention Jesus by name very often or at all. I mean, I haven't actually found another example. He alludes to him like when, you know, he told the, the man who died a criminal's death and when he returns. And, you know, it's kind of I wonder, like, you know, for a guy who likes to sort of name drop a lot, it's interesting that even at the height of his like kind of the first two albums, he didn't mention Jesus by name. But, you know, he's mentioned Errol Flynn makes a double appearance, you know, and like <laughs> what, why does, um, you know, like. I wonder if even the, the record company say, well, look, Bob, you know, yeah, yeah, just just don't mention Jesus. You can mention people, you know, kind of praying to God to kill them and not being able to die. But, you know, we don't want to freak them out by mentioning Jesus. So uh, it, it just was he sort of being, you know, a little coy about like kind of putting his name forward in, in that context, like where, you know, most Christian artists or certainly if you go to church and look through the hymn book and the song book you know like yeah that they, 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 there's you know jesus is always mentioned by name and that just that i just found that a little bit intriguing to be honest i i love the idea of some poor record executive being tasked with going up to bob <laughs> dylan and saying could you not mention jesus so much that would be <laughs> imagine what the, what flunky they hand that task to because that's not a fun day for that Columbia record executive, you know, <laughs> just no, no. not, not good. So, uh, well, okay. We're wrapping up here. Uh, Charles, do you feel like th this, this talk helped you achieve what you wanted to, which was to come to some sort of emotional resolution with this song? Did it, did, did, are, are you, are you much like you were that night? Do you feel like you're different <laughs> coming out than you were going in? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, it's just nice to, to know that you, you you kind of your experience with the song is similar to me. Uh, like, I suppose, uh, in a way, like, because I've been, you know, I have been uh, like, you know, I have been sort of a Christian, and I'm still kind of, you know, just a little bit of an agnostic. And, you know, I suppose, I, I, I'm, like I said, I, I just maybe um, 
sort of picked up on on some other kind of elements of it but that that uh, with a little bit more kind of weight but um but yeah i don't you know i can you know i i like i said I, it's a it's a it's a novel song and it's a fun song and just i suppose in a way what sort of helps me kind of move on from this song like you know again in relation to this conversation but also just in relation to bob and his kind of his faith like it's interesting that that the same that this song is followed on the album the album closes with with every grain of sand mm. which i think is just it's a that's got a christian message but it's a far more kind of organic nuanced christian message and a far more nicer kind of christian message you know it's sort of like you one know, of the great says, bob dylan songs of the great you know one of the, i'd say like one of the 10 best probably yeah i know and and particularly the dog barking version where <laughs> he actually closes it with you know i'm hanging in the balance of a perfect finished plan perfect finished plan and also and also the line about the every hair is numbered like every grain of sand like i just feel that it balances out all of the sort of fire and brimstone and hostility and nastiness that and mean-spiritedness that does sort of pervade this song is kind of banished and by the time you get to that song you are kind of at peace and you're at peace with a kind of a, an acknowledgement of at least some sort of like degree of spirituality and meaning meaning like meaning in the world but it's not sort of being defined in quite the same sort of um rigid kind of way that mm. that's that some of the earlier certainly that some of bob's earlier songs kind of defined it so but yeah no the conversation this being it's just been a great conversation to just just kind of get to the the the, the guts of this song and um yeah and and, and I, I, you know, I love hearing your take on it as well too and i, I you know I, I i'd be interested to know what other people's take is i actually well, did a little bit of research trying to find so, a little bit of sort of people's opinion on it and I, I don't know i'm not a good great researcher online but i didn't find a huge amount of sort of enlightening kind of opinion on it but yeah certainly i enjoyed what i i did was able to get access to i'm glad uh, the show was able to help uh you get there the oh, show yes. is always proud to serve uh before, uh as we again as we're wrapping up here before you tell people where they can find you out on the internet you have to ask you the standard exit question uh if there's any recording session of bob's you could sit in on what would that be um okay so obviously given this a little bit of thought i know one that it wouldn't be if i'm dragging things out i wouldn't want to be anywhere near bob in the studio in the mid 60s i just wouldn't want to be around his entourage i wouldn't <laughs> want like the pe people like bob newick and the guys in the band i just feel it'd be quite intimidating the truth and attacks bob, yeah yeah i know and bob himself will seem pretty irritable from what i've read you know during those sessions so by comparison you know my first take i was also thinking oh like kind of um love and theft he's really cheerful and avuncular and it's kind of you know happy you know interesting songs and the band are all happy but then I'm like, yeah yeah it's uh, just roll through the songs it's like you know there wouldn't be it doesn't feel like there was a lot of discovery taking place so the one that i 
have decided would be the one I want to be at is infidels. Now, infidels, first, I'd feel very comfortable because it has a couple of Englishmen there and there'll be my cups of tea and it just might feel a little bit less kind of, oh, I love England. Yeah, just, just the, those English accents always calm people down a little bit. And, um, you know, with, with and also uh, obviously Sly and Robbie to have them in the room as well at a sort of a bit of a cool factor to the whole kind of recording session. And but most, uh, I guess, is that, that he just rolled up with such an extraordinary batch of new songs, like just every single one of them, like Joker Man that we've talked about, to be hearing those for the first time and hearing those uh, like arrangements being sort of um kind of created and and I, I, I don't know I just feel that 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 would have been and coming as it did like after this album it would be you know kind of a very a very enlightening a very a very uh, like amazing experience to to see and just particularly to see if he was as invigorated in the studio certainly as much as he as he sounds in the songs themselves so yeah I think that's the one I'd like to be at all right, Infidels has been racking up some some uh, notches lately, so a lot of people really want to. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people really want to be on on that record, and yeah, like I like I said previously, just imagine watching him record the eighty seven versions of Too Late slash Foot of Pride. Like what a what a yeah. treat that would be, you know. So that's uh, absolutely solid answer. So, uh, like I said, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Okay, I don't have a huge kind of online kind of profile, but I do. I've got a couple of I've got a couple of songs and a play uh, um, that I've kind of got on YouTube. You can sort of check those out there. Um, Charles Jordan and the Last of the Recognized Batsmen that might get you access to some of that. And also, oh, and Charles Jordan and Bradley Shaw. We've got a couple of songs we wrote um, under that name. And um, oh, and apart from that, there's just my Facebook page. So I don't know. You can always kind of find me there, Charles Jordan in Auckland. That might get you access to me. Yeah, that's where you can find me. All right. Sounds good. Well, again, thank you so much, Charles. Thank you for reaching out. And I'm glad that we were able to, to put this together because as I said, the, the time difference is, was daunting. Uh, but, uh, we were able to do it. And I really appreciate you kicking off your holiday, uh, by sitting down and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I couldn't think of no more exciting way to begin my holiday. Um, Rob. So thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a delight. Great. Absolutely. So, of course, everybody, you want to find all the back episodes of Pod Dylan, go to our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the network, please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hussle, George Jordy, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Rother, and Henry Bernstein. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. I'm not sure why one album has more history than the Well, well for, for instance, they record all my, most of my albums. They like, go from this to that. Like, oh, yeah, well, this one's, well, yeah, because this one was here, this one's here. You know, this one's here. Oh, yeah, well, this is a logical extension of that. And, uh, oh, well, okay, well, this don't fit in, but this one does, and this is connected to that. And so it all makes sense. Here comes a record like Shout of Love, which don't make sense uh, on any kind of that sociological, political, uh, romantic level. That's why, you know, it's people, and people don't, can't relate to it because they, can't, they don't think that way, you know. But the sound of it was, was good, and, and uh, the sound of it was very good. The sound of it? Shot of Love. That's a sore point with me, with Shot of Love, because I, Shot of Love to me, I think, was a great record. <laughs>